If you have your Bibles with you, please open up to 1 Peter 3. We're going to be focusing this morning on verse 7. Verse 7. The American media has mastered the stereotype of the sitcom husband. We all know what we're talking about. It's an incompetent, foolish man, apparently glued to his recliner with a remote in one hand, a beer in the other, someone who's obsessed with sports, someone who's unable to hear his wife's request over the loudness of the television, but someone who expects his wife to hear his every demand for a sandwich. But without the authority of God's word, the world has lost its ability to agree on what a good husband is. Is a good husband one who lets his wife be the breadwinner since, well, she can make more while he stays home and takes care of the children? Is that a good husband? Is a good husband one who spends all of his time at work in order to buy a house in the right neighborhood and send his kids to the right college? Or maybe a good husband is one who runs his family as a, as a de, 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 democracy, with every member of the family getting an equal vote. Or maybe a good husband is one who lets every family member make whatever choices they want because really what matters most is that everyone is happy. Maybe one of those is the model that you grew up of what a good husband is. In 1 Peter, God himself, the one who designed marriage, describes the excellent conduct of a husband. For the first time since the section we were in, since the section we've been in began, the section began in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, for the first time, Peter addresses the role of the one to whom submission is required. Up to this point, Peter has been speaking to, of, the, of the submission of citizens to the government, of slaves to masters, of wives to husbands. But now, Peter briefly but poignantly switches focus to those to whom submission is required, to husbands. And to see Peter's larger purpose in this section, we have to go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 12. We see what the bigger purpose is in describing all of these relationships. 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, of those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, the Christians during this time are going through persecution, mostly probably verbal, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, when they lie about you, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And that's really what the section that we continue is about this morning, about those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing our good deeds, have, seeing our excellent conduct, so that they look at us and that they're startled by us. Why are you so different? And so that they would join us in glorifying God on the day of visitation as they say, you worship the one true God and I want to as well. And that is the big picture of this section and all these relationships that we're going through. So this morning we're going to look at how 
Christian husbands are to live during our pilgrimage on earth, during our short stay on earth? How do we maximize the time that God has given us in these momentary marriages? How do we live in a way as husbands so that those without the Lord will be fascinated by our good deeds? That they'll be shocked into wondering what makes you different so that they eventually will be those who glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm going to read now from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6, and we'll go up to verse 7. You, you might be a little surprised. Why does Peter spend one verse on husbands and six on wives? Well, you'll see he ends with a mic drop. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray together. Father, it is fitting as we read your word and as we end thinking about uh, this section, our prayers being hindered, we don't want our prayers as husbands to be hindered. And what a weighty and serious calling uh, you show here that the consequences are such that if we don't obey this command, our, our relationship with you is ruptured. Father, I pray that you would give us all wisdom as we listen uh, to what your word says. I pray, Father, uh, for wives that um, they would be eager to see you glorified by husbands fulfilling their role as they ought, and that husbands would, that we who are married would be humble. Lord, that we would see this, this serious calling, serious is not quite the right word, this, this maybe this weighty calling, in ways an overwhelming calling, so that we would see our need for Jesus Christ. That we would see that it's only through him that we can obey. Father, I pray that all of us as a church would be unified um, in prayerfully supporting husbands so that you are glorified within marriage and that those who don't know you would become your worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to see two commands to husbands and so that, and we're hoping for, for, for two results of that, so two commands to husband. So that the world will, one, be shocked how we live with our wives, and shocked in a good way. That they'd be shocked with how we live with our wives. And two, that because of that, they would become God's worshipers. 
We're going to see two commands to husbands so that the world will be shocked with how we live with our wives and become God's worshipers. As we point to this change in us could only come through Jesus Christ. The uh, first command we see in the beginning of, of verse 7 is to live with your wife according to knowledge. Live with your wife according to, to, to knowledge. And we'll see in a minute why I say according to knowledge instead of in an understanding way, which is something you're probably um, more common to hearing. Peter begins verse 7 by saying, uh, your, 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 your husband's in, you husbands in the same way, in the same way. And that doesn't suggests that husbands are to submit to their wives in the same way a wife is to submit to their husband any more than previously when the same word was used, that wives are to submit to their husbands in the same way a slave was to submit to their master. It has the same meaning as it did in the beginning of, of verse 1. This in the same way means that Peter's going on and, and saying, likewise, I'm going to describe a, a, a another relationship to you. I've just described wives' relationships to their husbands, and I'm going to describe what a husband's relationship to his wife would be like. Now, it's true that Peter does address husbands with fewer words, but he doesn't pull any punches. And I trust by God's grace as we go through this, you'll see the weightiness of these words, even if, even if there aren't many words. Sometimes that's a way even to express things that are weightier. And this is true for all of us, including any of you who, who hope to someday be married, including those of you who are looking maybe someday to find a husband, or men for those who are looking to find a wife, to be serious about what your calling is. It begins with live with your wives. Live with your wives. And the Greek word used here, this living with your wives word, it's one word in the Greek. And it can be used in a range of ways from, from, from entering into a marriage for, to intimacy within marriage or simply the married life. And that's probably the best way to take it here. Live with your wives. Be married as you are married. The word is broad enough to include every facet of marriage. So husbands, in your marriage relationship, as those who are married, and then both the New American Standard and the ESV, and I've got both there uh, at the bottom of your page, because I'm going to show a difference later. Uh, but both of them agree, in translating this, live with your wives in an understanding way. And perhaps you've memorized the phrase this way. You've heard it so many times. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands may have quoted this phrase to themselves when they are tempted to be impatient with their wives. Or maybe when they scratch their heads, not understanding why a wife really wants to put up a certain picture in their house. Or why does it have to be there? Or why do we need a new duvet cover? Our old one is fine. Well, i got to live with my wife in an understanding way. And no doubt... Many wives have wished their husbands would live with them in an understanding way, not just in trivial things like that, but being more patient and more gentle and more kind, more, more understanding. But literally in Greek, the word we're translating as understand or understanding way means according to knowledge. And that's the old King James Version way of saying it. Live with your wives according to knowledge. And the connotation we have of understanding as sympathetic and compassionate and sensitive and considerate and tolerant is not the most obvious way of translating this in Greek. Knowledge is. 
See, Scripture clearly teaches that all of us should be understanding. We don't have to go very far. Verse 8 talks about this. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Those are, the, the, when we talk about often about living with our, our wives in understanding ways, those kinds of words, being sympathetic and, and, and humble, kind-hearted. So we don't have to look to this verse to get those same ideas. Husbands ought to be understanding with their wives. Wives ought to be understanding with their husbands. But I think that Peter's use of the word understanding here is something more foundational he says, live in a way that is according to knowledge. In a way that's appropriate with knowledge, that corresponds to knowledge. Now, Peter doesn't use the same Greek word knowledge again in, in, in 1 Peter, although he uses the opposite. He does use it, though, in 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can flip a page over or two, maybe scroll down. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 and 6. He says, now for this very reason also... Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Grow in your moral excellence, in your virtue. And then he says, in, in your moral excellence, knowledge. Grow in knowledge. And then and in your knowledge, self-control. And we could go, go further with that list of traits that Peter has there. We see here, though, that knowledge is more than facts. Knowledge results in action. We see that Peter sandwiches knowledge between moral excellence and self-control. This knowledge is not just, wow, we need to get a lot of facts, but that it, those facts are going to transform the way that we live. So although that word knowledge isn't in 1 Peter, it is in 2 Peter, and there in that context, it's knowledge that, that, that transforms us. The opposite of that knowledge, though, is in 1 Peter it's in 1 Peter 1, verse 14, with the word ignorance, excuse me. 1 Peter 1, 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. It's not simply a time talking about the, 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 the ignorance there. It's not talking simply about uh, a time when you didn't know the gospel when you couldn't communicate the facts of the gospel, but a time when you hadn't yet been transformed by the gospel. And maybe some of you are in that time of ignorance still now, where you, know, you, you can tell someone that Jesus died for your sins, but it hasn't changed you. Well, that's, that's why Peter describes them as in their former lust. They're still captivated to sin. And there's hope for you this morning in Jesus Christ. That you don't have to stay in those times of ignorance, but by coming, coming to Jesus Christ, you can live a new and transformed and God-pleasing life through Jesus Christ. See, living according to knowledge is not only knowing. It's making choices in our marriage which are appropriate to what we know. Making choices that are appropriate to what we know. So it leads to the question, what kind of knowledge is Peter referring to? And he doesn't limit it for us. So first we're going to start broad and then focus in. See, according to knowledge parallels other phrases that Peter's been using. We saw one of these similar kinds of phrases, these phrases that point us to living in God's presence in 1 Peter 1, verse 17. 
In 1 Peter 1.17, he tells them to conduct yourselves in fear during your time of your stay on earth. And that in fear doesn't mean we're shaky, but it means living like God is who he says he is. Like he does reward and he does evaluate and he did purchase you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We, we see a similar phrase in 1 Peter 2.19. And Peter likes throwing in these little phrases that, that really has the same heart of according to knowledge. 1 Peter 2.19. He says, For this finds favor for the sake of conscience toward God. And we looked at, oh, I'll finish the verse. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow and suffering unjustly. And it's that idea, conscious God, mindful of God, on account of God consciousness. And with that one phrase, G, uh, Peter brings in all of this theology to bear on our lives as we suffer, mindful of God, knowing he's there and he's watching and he's caring and he's sovereign. He, he had this, we saw the same similar idea in 1 Peter 3, 2 where he calls wise to, to chaste and respectful behavior. And that respectful there is in fear behavior. It's not in fear of our spouses. It's not even a shaking in fear of God. We've already talked about that. It's mindful of God's presence. And that's the heart of behind this according to knowledge. Live with your wives according to knowledge. And again, so what is this knowledge? Knowledge of God's grace. That we do not deserve our wives. That if our wives are saved, this wife that God has given us has been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. We are to live according to the knowledge of God's grace. We are to bring and to bear into our marriage relationships knowledge of God's sovereignty. That God did not make a mistake in giving us our wives. And making us one flesh with him. That in any of our life circumstances, he has made no mistakes. It's an accurate understanding of our sinfulness. Being aware that our desires are often selfish. As Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12, that we abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And it's to bring that understanding into our marriage. That although I'm a new creature in Christ, I have these fleshly lusts waging war against my soul. And they're going to influence what I ask of my wife. That I can be selfish within marriage. Not can be. Like you have permission to be. May, that would be maybe selfish, but okay. Conviction of God's resources to fulfill God's commands. We have to bring that knowledge into our marriage too. That in Christ, that a husband has been freed from sin and has become a slave of righteousness. And that's what it means to live with our wives according to knowledge. With all of that knowledge being bearing down and influencing the way that we live with our wives. It's remembering our finiteness and our limitations. It's remembering that there are ways that we as husbands are unwise, that we need counsel, including the counsel of those who know us most, our wives, that we are pilgrims, that we are limited in time, that this world is not infinite, that it is not lasting, that our lives are passing quickly, that we only have so much time with our wives allotted to us. So what do we do with that time? This is, this is according to knowledge. This is bringing the theology of God's word onto our marriage. And it has hope because we can love our wives as God calls us to. But it's an awareness that God rewards, that God sees, that God evaluates, that God is present 
in our kitchens, and that God is present in our bedrooms, that all of our life is under the watchful, caring, but evaluating eye of God. So that is the kind of knowledge we need to bring into this relationship that we are a steward of. That kind of knowledge affects every human relationship. But there's some knowledge in Scripture that is specific to our relationships with our wives. See, we have the responsibility to live with our wives according to what God's word says regarding marriage. That your wife is a treasure from the Lord. Proverbs 18, verse 22 He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Some of the children in the back uh, have been currently smitten with Pokemon cards. And when you open a pack of Pokemon cards, there is the possibility of finding a very expensive card in there. Some kids know enough to be very excited if they found one of these very expensive cards. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Not comparing wives to Pokemon cards. Just children know when they find something valuable. And if you are married, you have found something valuable. And you need to live according to that knowledge. If you had a valuable Pokemon, something like 30 or 40 bucks, if you find a valuable Pokemon card, you don't just rip it up. Don't tear apart your wives with harsh words. It's the knowledge that God expects you to lead in your marriage, to lead your family in obedience to him. 1 Corinthians 11.3 describes this. The man is the head of a woman. He is to lead their family in obeying God's commands and implementing what God's word requires. Living according to knowledge is living according to the knowledge that God created your wife to be your helpmate. You shouldn't be patting yourself on the back for that. Like, that is a humbling truth. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for this man, Adam, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Our wives are more than our traveling buddies. It's more than someone we go see movies with. There are helpmates to help us accomplish God's will for our lives. Living according to knowledge means the knowledge that God has called your wife to submit to your leadership, to have, God has called your wife to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And this is why Peter says this in verse 7 after verses 1 through 6. He has described this role of a wife, and I trust by God's grace you men have been humbled reading this. They've been given this, this, this weighty calling of being submissive to us. Of having a gentle and, and, and a quiet spirit, they, they, where they humbly are trusting God in our leadership, where, 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 where they don't where they don't fight against us, and even it describes submission as obedience. Men to have a wife is a serious calling. I mean, we are directing someone who's. Beauty in God's eyes is following your lead. All right, this is scary stuff. 
that God has put under someone, someone under you is to demonstrate submission by obeying you. So men, we must be wise in what we ask of our wives. And it's not because they are, are weak, but because they're limited. Because they are limited, they only have so much time. We want them to get the full potential of the impact they can for God's kingdom. So be wise what you're asking of them. And, and that can go to how you run your home and to what you expect for dinner and all kinds of things that men can barge in with an opinion on. Are you being a good steward of the wife that's been entrusted to you? I'm not saying we can't have, have an opinion about that, but are you being wise? It's living according to this knowledge that God would have us leave our parents to cleave to our wives. Genesis 2.24. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's living according to the knowledge that God has called us to live with our, our, to love our wives with Christ's own sacrificial, nourishing love. We see that in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her, nourishing and cherishing it. It's a rich passage. It's living with the knowledge that God wants you to enjoy life with your wife. Ecclesiastes 9, 9, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you've labored under the sun. 1 Timothy 5, 8 talks about the knowledge that husbands are to be providing for their wives. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 talks about that husbands are to be intimate with their wives. There's more that God's word says about what the knowledge is, how we are to live with our wives. I encourage you, look up these passages. If I went through them too quickly, listen again, write them down. This is our responsibility, men. So do you feel this weight of living according to knowledge? Do you feel the, the seriousness of this calling? So, when our wives ask us, hey, honey, is it okay if we have leftovers for, for dinner? And you didn't like them the previous night. You might feel like protesting. But then you live according to knowledge and you remember what you deserve, which is hell. You live according to knowledge and you remember what God has given this wife which you didn't deserve, for whom Christ died. And you remember the resources that you have in Jesus Christ, that you have been united with him through the Spirit, and you are free to obey him. And you remember God's sovereignty. You live according to knowledge that God knows what is best. And those leftovers are best, most likely. And that you remember living according to knowledge that eternal rewards for obedience, even in this little choice you're about to make in what you say to your wife. And you, you live according to knowledge that your wife is seeking to care for you so you can lead the family. And what are you going to lead them in? In the Great Commission, in making disciples, in showing the value of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
then you remember that you are called to love Christ and to love your wife as Christ loves the church. This is living according to knowledge. It is bringing all of that truth on this decision. How do I respond to leftovers, which I didn't like the first time? And then you remember that a lost world is watching you. Maybe not specifically at that meal, but the whole flavor of your life. And that you, many of you have children in your home who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ who are watching. And here's an opportunity to show his transforming power. And so by God's grace, you men act according to that knowledge through Jesus Christ. And you say, honey, that's great. Can I have some more, please? Are you living with your lives, with your wives, according to knowledge? God's requirement for consistency should leave us running to the cross for forgiveness and to the empty tomb for power. Because the resurrected Christ has sent his spirit into those who know him so that we don't have to hide from God's calling. So that though you feel the weight of this calling, you can fulfill this calling. Those who walk according to the Spirit fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. You can live according to knowledge by God's grace. Is this the way that you are living with your wife according to what's true? Or, or have you, are you living in a fictional universe? Are you living with your wife with this distorted view of the cosmos that you and your appetites and your desires and your self-esteem are at the center of your universe? Who is on the throne of your marriage? Is it Christ or is it you? We need to live with our Wives, according to knowledge. And I hope you see that I'm not undercutting this phrase in an understanding way at all. This is far more weightier. Live with your wives according to knowledge. And second command, so that the world will see, be fascinated, and want to know this Jesus Christ who lives in you. Show honor to your wife. Show honor to your wife. Showing honor is parallel to living with. And both have in this section here the force of commands, showing it's to grant what's appropriate in a relationship, to, to assign to someone what they deserve. This honors respect and showing her value. So there's three aspects of honoring our wives. And for those of you who aren't married but would like to be, this is a great test of your future spouse. Wives, is, as you look for a husband, is he going to be this kind of man? Who is, going, is he currently living according to knowledge? And is he someone who will show honor to you as the weaker partner in this life? And that's the first way to show honor to your wife. Show, show her honor as the weaker partner in this life. Now, I put, uh, so the ESV has to, 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 to the women as the weaker vessel, which is a great way to woo a future spouse, by the way. Call her weaker vessel. No, no, that's not a good idea. And the New American Standard has, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. So the ESV keeps the word vessel, and it's a good idea there. 
uh, because the new American standard just kind of makes it go away, and we should keep it. So lid, like, so lid, so lid, excuse me, literally the Greek has, as the weaker vessel, the, the female. And so female, there is a unique Greek word that emphasizes gender. Now, vessel may sound like a strange way to talk about your spouse. The word is vessel or container, and it's used of an instrument of, of any kind. It could be something used in farming, of military equipment on a ship. And so maybe you're thinking, well, this doesn't sound great. Great. So your wife is an instrument. Well, Paul was called a vessel by Christ. In Acts 9, 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And that word instrument there in Acts 9, 15 is vessel. He's my chosen vessel. He's my chosen instrument. And in scripture, this, this idea of vessel or instrument is used for both men and women of people. So really, Paul is, 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 is describing purpose, and Peter's describing purpose here. And he's also showing that there's a difference in purpose. Now, you've probably heard different, different, ex, different explanations of what it means that women are a weaker vessel. Now, hopefully, you would have a problem if someone described them as weaker spiritually. Right? Yes, you should have a problem. And weaker intellectually. That should also cause you problems. Many of you who are married know that that's not true. Often, though, this word gets described as weaker emotionally. But I believe that that understanding should be challenged. Is weakness speaking about emotions? Is weakness crying? Is being immovable and stoic strength? Well, what about the example we just read in Psalm 38 of David? Have you read the Psalms? Is that a, a weak man? Well, in ways, yes. Right? In the way, in a sense that he is an emotional man. Jeremiah was an emotional man. Paul was an emotional man. Jesus Christ was an emotional man. He's not talking about emotionally weaker here. If we misunderstand weakness, you may unknowingly devalue your wife for being weak when really that's her emotional is a strength that sometimes men lack. Really, our wives demonstrate a range of biblical emotions. And sometimes men can fail to express emotions. And that's definitely part of the American ideal almost. Men are stoic. They don't have emotions. We don't, need, we don't need to consider our wives emotionally weaker to be sympathetic or kind-hearted. They are who they are, and our wives are different. And we as men are different, and we have a range of emotion as men. Weaker physically makes much more sense here. We know that while some women are stronger than some men, and as it's true, as a gender, though, men are stronger than women. If we put the women on one side of the room and they had to fight the men on the other side of the room, we know who would win. 
one-on-one. I think some of you could definitely beat me. But as a mob, we, 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 we know who would win. But what does it mean to honor someone who is physically weaker? Does, does that mean they can't work long hours? No. Our wives are exhausted doing hard work. I think weaker even means something more than physical, although physical points to it. The phrase weaker vessel, weaker purpose, or weaker instrument refers to roles within marriage. Refers to roles within marriage. This is why we are to honor them as the weaker vessel. See, wives are weaker in authority within marriage. And these two ideas are, are not separate. Like Clearly, God designed men, for the most part, as as our species, as, as our race, race goes, I don't know. You know what I mean. Men are bigger for the most part. They have a bigger frame. It's obvious even by looking at most couples, the, the, God intends man to be leaders. So that physical strength is a pointing towards what Peter's really talking about here. Weaker in purpose, weaker in role. And this correlates to exactly what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Where, and this makes sense why he says this here, because he's been talking about their submission to their husbands and their gentle and quiet spirit and what God values. Women are weaker in authority. Now, as you can see, commentators are divided whether this phrase is, linking, is linked to living with or to showing honor. And you can see that in the verses I put at the bottom of your notes. I've got both, 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 it, both of there in the New American Standard there and the ESV. The New American Standard has it, oh, I can read it here. Your husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. Oh, I should be understanding of them because they're weak. I think that's just rife with all kinds of confusion there. Really, I think misunderstandings about gender. Instead, uh, and the ESV has, which I don't have my notes up here, but you do, but showing honor to her as the weaker vessel. I think this makes sense because we are tempted to dishonor our wives' husbands as the weaker vessel because they are the one who has less authority. That we're tempted to abuse our authority. Wives do not deserve less honor because God has given them a different role. Peter has already commanded the saints to honor all people in 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people. But Peter goes further. The wife is to be shown honor not in spite of her weakness, but because of her weakness in her role. And I think that Peter is influenced by the Lord Jesus here. Wives were not respected in the ancient world because of their weakness. But Jesus honors those who are weak, those who embrace the greatness of serving. Mark 10, verses 42 to 45 is a great example for that. Shorter is Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. For the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. There we see Christ honors those who are servants. Women are exalted for their weakness as they serve their husbands by humbly submitting to them. So 
husbands, do you honor your wives as someone that God is calling to submit to your lead? Do you recognize her value as her God, as your God-given helpmate to help you obey God's commands as you lead your family? Or do you, in a sense, waste her potential trying to get dinner just the way that you like? Do you honor her by listening to the one, to your, to your wife who is gentle and quiet, who won't stand up for her preferences, who won't demand her ways? Do you honor her by valuing her input in your home? Do you honor her by making sure that she has the time and the tools to do what you are asking her? And if she doesn't, do you adjust something in what you're asking her? Do you care for her God-given desires for intimacy, emotional intimacy and physical intimacy? Do you honor her verbally, praising what you see God doing in her life? And are you cautious of criticizing her, not even verbally, but in your own heart? Are you always throwing stones at her, nitpicking? Do you honor her with your time and your money, tangibly demonstrating the value that you place upon her submission by your devotion? Like what a, what a privilege we have in God's plan to have, to have wives. How do you steward this God-given gift of a helpmate suitable to you for those who are married? So we need to show her honor as a weaker vessel in this life. We need to show her honor as a fellow heir of eternal life. Show her honor as a fellow heir of eternal life. See, husbands are to honor wives for their distinctiveness, for their weaker role within marriage. But they're also to honor their wives for what they have in common. That they are co-heirs of the grace of life. Wives are not only to be honored for their role, but also for their equality. That we enjoy the same eternal inheritance. This is a shocking language in, in, in the Greco-Roman world. 1 Peter 1.4, he's been prepping them for this. He's talked about them obtaining an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven. He, he's, he's been whetting their appetite for the future. That this, for this praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ that they get to participate in. So now he describes wives as the fellow heir of the grace. This is a grace given by God. Grace not deserved, not in fulfillment of our roles as spouses because you've done a good job, you get this grace, but grace freely given. It's a grace, though, that is yet to be received. Peter's talked about this in 1 Peter 1.13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's that grace that is coming to you when Christ returns all, and we enjoy all those blessings that he has given us. Peter further describes this grace. Grace as life. It's a, 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 a appositional phrase there. Grace that consists of life. Grace, the life. Speaking about not the grace of this life, although that's a blessing, but eternal life. The eternal life that we have to look forward to of 
loving the Lord without battling the lust of the flesh. The eternal life of unbroken, eternal joy in God's presence. The eternal life of delight in fulfilling God's commands. The eternal life of enjoying the rewards which have come from God for what he's done through Christ in us. This eternal life is only possible through knowing Jesus Christ. And some of you are here today who need this new life. And that life comes in knowing Jesus Christ. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And do you know Jesus Christ? Have you realized your desperate need for a Savior? And have you gone to him knowing that all you deserve is punishment? Have you gone to him saying, Lord, I need life and found that life in Jesus Christ alone? That life is offered to you who come to him. Go to Jesus Christ in faith, believing in him alone as the one to take your punishment and give you this new life. See, Peter here safeguards husbands from thinking that women are inferior because their roles differ, because they are the weaker vessel. The cost of this new life is the same through the obedience of Jesus Christ. The enjoyment of this new life will be the same. It won't be distinguishable by gender. The rewards enjoyed in this new life are the same. It's still only capable through Jesus Christ. When our roles in this marriage are fulfilled, our equality will remain. Eternity does not make us equal. Eternity will make clear our equality. So husbands, are you allowing eternity? Are you allowing the fact that your spouse is your co-heir of this grace of life we have to look forward to? Are you allowing eternity to influence how you think about your wife now? Your ministry to her now is temporary, but she will forever be your sister. So do you shame the one for temporary imperfections who will be honored alongside you for eternity? Or do you honor her as your eternal fellow worshiper for whom the Father paid the same purchase price? Do you have an eternal mindset in how you direct her strengths? Are you eager to see her rewarded for her submission to you within marriage? And so you, as a, a family, are seeking to advance God's kingdom together. She's your co-heir the grace of life. Show her honor for differences in this life, for equality in the life to come, but also show her honor for the sake of your prayers. Peter ends in a sobering way. God shows here how seriously he takes a husband's treatment of his wife. See, Peter warns, oh, Peter didn't warn the wives with a negative consequence, but he does the husband's so that your prayers will not be hindered, so that your prayers won't be blocked, so that there won't be an obstacle of getting them to God. And for us, men, this should be a warning sign. What has caused God to say this? It's like when you, you get off the 91 and turn on to Lemon, and there's seven red lights there. Right? It's a warning sign. That's what this text should be. What could be so serious 
that even though Jesus Christ died for my sins, that God wouldn't hear my prayers. It's the way you treat your wife. Husbands, the consequences of not honoring your wife, both as the weaker vessel and honoring her as the co-heir of the grace of life, is that your prayers will be ignored. Can you dishonor your blood-bought wife and honor the Lord? Can your heart be hard toward your wife and soft toward the Lord? The Lord will have none of it. The only husbands welcomed in prayer are those who honors their wives. That's shocking. The only husbands welcomed in prayer are those who honors who honor their wives. Why? Because that's the, that's the mark of a repentant man. A repentant man honors his wife. A humble man honors his wife. A man who realizes that Christ died for his sins honors his wife. So what would stop these prayers coming to the Lord? I think ultimately it's pride. If a husband somehow assumes that he deserves this grace of life but forgets that his wife, and thinks somehow, I guess, that his wife doesn't, what pride would that be? Or what pride would it be if he had some sense of superiority based on his gender? If he fails to forget that whatever strength and authority he has within marriage has been given to him only by God. The Lord isn't going to answer those prayers launched because of the pride there. And honestly, I wonder how many such men feel the need to pray at all. You're living lives with binders on, blinders on, if that's the way you think of your spouses. You don't understand yourself. Prayers being answered, being answered are a tremendous, tremendous incentive for you to honor your wives. Tremendous incentive. Do you understand how desperately you need the Lord's help each day? Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread. That prayer will be hindered. We don't honor our wives. Jesus taught us to pray that our sins forgiven. That prayer is going to be hindered. Jesus taught us to, to be delivered from temptation. That prayer will be hindered. If we're not in a right relationship with our spouses. And if not having your prayers answered to you isn't terrifying to you. I honestly wonder if you're aware enough of your sinfulness to know the Lord Jesus Christ. See, not caring whether the Lord hears our prayers reveals such pride. That you are the one who provides for your own needs. That, that, a pride that you haven't been offending God. A pride that you can resist temptation on your own. See, the heart that doesn't understand that he and his wife, a man and his wife, are an equal footing before the Lord. That they are equally the objects of his grace. They, they are equally undeserving of eternal life. Must not presume that the Lord's ear is open to him. See, the, brothers, the way that you honor your wife is a matter of your physical preservation. You need daily bread. It is a matter of your spiritual preservation, of you not being delivered over to temptation. Would you have daily bread, your physical needs met? 
Would you have your sins forgiven so that you can continue enjoying relationship, ongoing relationship with God? Would you not fall into temptation? Then show honor to your wife. This is big time here. This is serious. Peter couldn't make this any more serious. He spends less verses, but the red lights are huge here. Don't go plowing through this intersection. We live in a world in which saved husbands who live with their wives, as it's described here, have a unique opportunity. These are rare things. Marriages in which wives submit to their husbands and where husbands honor their wives. This is culturally bizarre. This is shocking. See, the spotlight is on these culturally divergent marriages. And the assumption is that the husband is going to be some kind of brute, a Neanderthal. Men who drag around barefoot women by their hair. That's, if you were to, to describe this to many of your lost friends, they'd be like, what in the world? But husbands, as we use this authority that we've been given as the stronger vessel, you have the opportunity to shock a watching world. And how do we do this? By living with our wives according to knowledge. The Bible says about us as people before God. But then what the Bible says about marriage itself. And by honoring our wives as different in role as the weaker vessel, but as spiritually equal, co-heirs of the grace of life. The hope of 1 Peter 2.12 is that in our lives, there are elect of God, those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have yet to be saved, who will glorify God on the day of visitation because they've seen your excellent conduct as husbands. Not as the world defines excellence, not as some whatever picture that is of a good husband who just wants everyone to be happy and get along, who stays at home and watches their kids so that the wife can be the breadwinner. The world has all kinds of pictures of what that good husband is. Someone who sacrifices everything, including his marriage, so that his kids can go to the right college. There's so many pictures of what a good husband is. But that won't save anyone. This biblical picture of a godly husband will cause those who don't have Jesus Christ to say, why are you so different? You're going to be able to give them a reason for the hope that you have. Let's pray. Father, it is in your sovereign plan that you chose to give this instruction to husbands in fewer words. But I pray, Father, that we, either those who aspire to be husbands or those who are currently husbands, would in no less way feel the weight I pray, Father, that the chance of our prayers not being answered would be so exposing to us of how seriously you take this, Lord. That we would so value our relationship with you. That we would want nothing to hinder our intimacy, our fellowship with you.
which you've given everything to purchase, the blood of your own son, Lord, that we would so value that, that we would take to heart what your word says. Father, I believe that these words are weightier than often we've made them out to be. It's not just pitting our wives because they cry sometimes. It's bringing all of the knowledge of your word, this, this weightiness of theology, to bear on our marriage. Lord, help us to live with our wives according to that knowledge, to take seriously what your word says about our, our roles leading and about us cherishing our wives and enjoying life with them and being intimate with them and providing for them and, and directing them in the most profitable way for your kingdom that they are a helper to us. Lord, that we would take all of that seriously as husbands. That we would show honor to our wives. As, 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 they, as they have to follow these, these fallen men. They have to submit to our lead, our imperfect lead. That we would honor them for the role that you have given them. And then honor them for what we have eternally to look forward to. That they are co-heirs with us. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom of your word. There's, there's no superiority here. There's, there, there, there's nothing any husband can go home to pat himself on the back on. There's only humbling. We don't deserve our wives. And we can't do this on our own. I thank you, Father. I feel the need of looking to Jesus Christ for these resources. This is a high calling. Lord, one I often feel false social, and even really to this passage, had to open my eyes even more to, and I pray that that'd be true for all of us here, that we would see more of the grace that you've given us in giving us our spouses. Lord, and just as we uh, prayed uh, for our single women, Lord, I know that, that, uh, that there are men who would desire to be married. Lord, I pray that you would um, help them, dear Lord, to continue obeying you, leading in the realms that you've given them, trusting your providence and your plan. Lord, and I, I know of some who, who don't have believing wives. Lord, we pray that their, the way they love their wives would be such a testimony that, that, that their wives would be saved. Father, we thank you for your word. We're humbled by it. Uh, we are, are, are needy. We're dependent. We ask, Lord, for your strength in this upcoming week uh, to live with our wives in a way that makes the world say, wow, Jesus Christ is powerful. In Jesus' name, amen.